Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a speaking God. That by your Holy Spirit you breathe out your Scripture for us and for our salvation, so that we may come to know Christ our Savior. We pray that your Spirit will work mightily in our hearts, illuminating our minds and enlivening our hearts to comfort the afflicted, to heal the soul sick, to convert the lost, and to build up the saints, all to the glory of our matchless Savior Jesus Christ our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Very glad to be worshiping with you this morning, and your brothers and sisters at Downing Ringos greet you. This morning, our passage comes from Genesis five. If you are using your pew Bible, you can find it on page four. We'll be reading the whole chapter. Now, hear the reading of God's holy and infallible word. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, He created them, and He blessed them and named them man. When they were created, when Adam had lived 130 years, He fathered a son in His own likeness, after His image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after his he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after his father Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh has lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after his father Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, "Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands." Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, 
and he died. After Noah was five hundred years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the word of the Lord. During the COVID pandemic, only one th- there was one thing really stood out. That is the death count that you saw on TV. It goes up every single day, and in every single state all over the world, what you see is that death is at your door. So you be safe. You are told to mask up, to get vaccinated, to close all the school, to stay home and avoid restaurants and shops if they were open at all. Now that the pandemic is over, you know what? The mortality rate is still a hundred percent. No matter what you eat, what drugs that you take, or what exercises that you do. Now, I'm not saying that you don't seek to be healthy and seek medical treatment or health care, but I hope you see a pattern here. Death has gotten another one, and it's going to get you. Our passage breaks this fatal grip of death. The main idea of this text is that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world, and He will give you rest and eternal life. We walk through this passage in five steps before we reach that glorious conclusion. Our first step, you can see in verses one to five, can be described as a bridge. One commentator says that biblical genealogy is unfortunately ignored by laymen and unduly obsessed by scholars and pastors. Now, how many of us skipped over this chapter when we read through Genesis? You know all about the creation account and the fall in Genesis one to four, and you are very familiar with Noah and the flood story in Genesis six to nine. But do you know that this chapter? Acts as a bridge between these two great narratives. Genesis five summarizes what was before it, and then sends the readers to the rest of the Bible with a better understanding of life and of death. So to begin in verse one, we read that this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. This is not a book like ours. This was probably written on stone tablets, or even passed down to Moses by oral tradition. What it says is that this chapter is one seamless account of the story of Adam's children, spanning over two thousand years. This is a historic and linear descent of Adam, the first man, down to his tenth generation. Now, who is Adam? Verses one to two is a callback to the creation account when God created human, male and female, in His image and likeness. Now we can't spend too much time this morning to consider what image and likeness means. In brief, these are not two ideas, but mutually explanatory concepts. To be God's, to be in God's image, is to be like God. We may describe the first couple as visible representatives. Of, or ambassadors of the invisible God to rule over the visible world on God's behalf. The Westminster Confession of Faith states that Adam was created in wisdom, righteousness, and holiness. These are God-like characters or characteristics, and Adam needed them to love and to obey God. 
But after Adam and Eve sinned, which we read briefly in the morning、uh, earlier, they have lost these character and they lost communion with God. The image of God was not totally lost, but the image of God in them were shattered, broken, or defaced. We read here in verse three that Adam fathered a child in his image and likeness, like father, like son. Unfortunately, this image of God in Adam was shattered when he sinned, and all his children are image and likeness of the fallen man. And so, we, as children of Adam, we are also born in guilt and pollution of sin and deserving of death. And so we see in verses four to five, although Adam lived a very long life, nine hundred and thirty years, can you believe that? He died. Death was, and is still, the just penalty of sin. But there was also hope. In Genesis three fifteen, we read earlier that God promised that He would send a savior, or a champion, who is the seed and the son of the first woman, to crush the serpent, who was Satan. And by defeating Satan, this savior will also defeat sin and death. In fact, Adam trusted this first gospel that he named his wife Eve, in hope and expectation that she will become. The mother of all living. To pass it out some more, the son of Eve will be, bring eternal life to whom, to those whom he represents or stands in union and solidarity with. And this life is nothing less than eternal life with full communion with our glorious God. So we see here, back to verse three, we see that Adam fathered a son, Seth. Notice that Cain and Abel, Adam's and Eve's first two sons, they are not mentioned here. You know from Genesis four that Cain murdered Abel and was exiled by God. So these two sons, they were not the promised savior. And the couple's third son, Seth, though his name means appointed, also was not the savior because he himself died. Once again, like father, like son, they both died because sin reigned over them. And we now move to the second step in this passage, seen in verses three to thirty-one. And this step can be described as a cycle. This is a list of ten generations of representative men, and ten cycles of literary repeat, as you heard earlier. Nine begins with how long a son. Of Adam lived, that he fathered a son with a given name, and also fathered other unnamed children. Then, how long he lived after he fathered this named son, and at last, each cycle has this repeat refrain of "and he died." Well, actually, not every cycle. If you pay attention, it it was found in eight of these cycles. It repeats. Now, perhaps this is why so many people gloss over this chapter. It is all gloom and doom. Everyone ended up dead. It's a hall of fame of the dead. And it is reasonable to think that the original author、uh, composed this genealogy not to depress us, but to remind us that we cannot escape and cheat death. Death 
is knocking at our door and it's going to get us. We have already seen why. Sin has cut off mankind's communion with God and it leads us to a dead end. And this chapter prompts us to not only think about the reason of sin and death, it also leads us by the hand, so to speak, so that we can feel the sorrow of lost communion with God, lost relationship with our family and all those around us, and to feel the dreariness and the pain of death, and to experience the unrelenting reign of sin and death over us. There is no escape from this dreadful tyrant who leads us as sheep to be slaughtered. And this leads us up a third step, which is called hope. Verses 21 to 24 gives us a spark of light and a glimmer of hope. Amidst this chorus of death, when everyone fathered children and died, Enoch temporarily halted this cycle of death. Here we see God graciously intervened in Enoch's life. Twice in verses 22 and 24, Enoch is described as one who walked with God. The Hebrew idiom of walking means living a life or having a lifestyle around certain principles. And this concept carries over to the New Testament, which describes unconverted life as walking in trespasses and sins and darkness, whereas a life in Christ as one that is walking in the light and in good works. So Enoch walked with God. It is a continual and abiding, a consistent way of life for Enoch to seek and to please God. Now, this is not to say that Enoch was sinless or perfect. Later, we see that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. They both speak to the fact that Enoch, as well as Noah, lived by trusting God. They made every effort to please God, to do his will. And because Enoch walked with God, surprisingly, he escaped death. The text didn't say as such, but only that he was no more, for God took him. Embedded in this cycle of death, this no doubt means that Enoch was taken up to heaven, to the presence of God without experiencing physical death. Now here's a pop quiz for you. Name the other person in the Bible who did not experience death. No, not Jesus, okay? Yes, it's Elijah. I think I heard his name mentioned. He was taken up into heaven by a whirlwind with chariots and horses of fire. So Enoch and Elijah were the only two people who did not experience death on this earth. Now, what does that mean besides a trivial question and a curiosity? Notice that this interlude with Enoch is rich in theological meaning. I'll highlight three brief points. First, it tells us that God has the power to defeat death. He can take, up, he can take a man up into heaven to be with him forever. Death has no power, a final word, over God. God has power and final word over all things, including death. Second, it tells us that God is gracious. 
He can pardon Enoch's sins, imputed and inherited from Adam. And this pardon is perfect and forever because it comes not by the hand of anyone, any man, but from a perfect and gracious God. Third, God's intrusion into a death cycle of this fallen world gives us hope. A hope that first proclaimed to Adam and Eve that God will send a savior to deliver, to deliver sinners from death. But Enoch, though he did not die, he was not the savior. He was benefited by a savior for sure, but he was not the savior because his son, Methuselah, he died. So the cycle of death resumed after Enoch was taken up to be with God. The promised savior was still to come. And this leads us up to the fourth step of this text. Verses 28 to 32 tells us that the 10th generation from Adam was Noah. We can describe this step as expectation. Methuselah fathered Lamech. Lamech had a son and he named him Noah. The name Noah appears to be a word play because it sounds like another word rest in Hebrew. Lamech further explained, explained the choice of this name of the son because he expected that this son would bring relief. Relief is another Hebrew word close to the spelling of the word of the name Noah. Now, why would Lamech expect that Noah would give rest and relief? Verse 29 tells us that it was because of the painful toil of the hands of man. And this painful toil was exactly what God sentenced Adam to in Genesis 3.17, when God cursed the ground on account of Adam's sin. Of course, God also sentenced Adam to death. We see ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And from Adam onward, mankind has suffered the consequence of sin. Aside from death, we also deal with suffering, whether it's physical or mental. We are pained by alienation from God and from others. We are afflicted with spiritual warfare from cosmic power and spiritual forces of evil. And Lamarck, at his time, no doubt experienced all these things. And so his earnest desire was to enter rest. Not to be inactive and sit on an easy chair, but to be relieved from suffering, from guilt, from the pollution and the rain of sin and of death. And so Lamech set his hope and expect that this son Noah would, be, would bring salvation. Just like Eve set her hope on her son Seth. Now that nine generations had passed and no relief was in sight, Lamech has an urgent expectation that this next one, next in line, will be the savior of the world. And, this, and he will bring forever rest and relief to those who descend from him. And in a partial and a very limited way, Noah did become a sort of a savior of the world. And that's why this chapter is an important prelude to the flood story. 
Noah was chosen by God to be the head of a new humanity. Everyone except his family was wiped out during the flood because of their sins. And when Noah exited the ark and offered God a sacrifice at a newly built altar, God blessed him with these familiar words. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, where did you hear that blessing before? Well, that's right, to Adam and to Eve. Noah was given as a new head, a new representative of mankind, a new Adam, if you will. Unfortunately, mankind was and is marred by the same problem of sin and of death. For God said, even to the generation of Noah, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So there was some sort of a soft reboot, a partial reset to where Adam was after he sinned. The bell of death would toll for Noah and his descendants. Sadly, mankind has been singing the refrain, and he died ever since. So after walking through this chapter, a book of Adam's generation, our final step, the fifth step, is to see this chapter as a whole. And it can be this, this step can be described very simply as Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. This chapter tells us that in spite of the unremitting death spiral, generation after generation, sinners after sinners die, God has preserved and named a line from which a Savior will come. Despite the sins of the chosen ones, God's plan of salvation remained unbreakable. Enoch was a sign, as we mentioned, that God can and will save his people from sin and death. Noah was a sign that God will fulfill the promise in a greater way in a post-flood world. So this chapter gives us the background of death, the pain of death, and it anticipates a future when there is no more death. When this Savior will finally arrive on a scene to redeem a people so that God's people may rest in sweet communion with God forever. And so we climb all these steps and finally we reach the top of this passage. This chapter points us to the only Savior of the world, Jesus Christ our Lord, who gives us rest and eternal life. Following Genesis 5 or Genesis 9 after the flood, it seems that life was and is the same as usual. Life and death are cyclical certainties of the human race. But just like Enoch was unexpectedly taken up to heaven, from heaven, one unexpectedly came to the earth. Yes, the eternal Son of God. He did not count equality with God, something too precious to hold on to. But he, become, he became an obedient man, even to death of the cross. Nobody thought he had any beauty and majesty. But Jesus, by his words and by his deeds, proved that he alone is this long-promised and expected Savior of the world. Being born of a virgin, Jesus' supernatural birth ensured that he did not inherit the sin of Adam. Therefore, he is perfectly suited and suitable to be the sinless mediator who conquered sin and death 
by his cross. Consider, consider Matthew 1. It begins with the book of the generation or genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This sentence echoes the beginning of our passage in Genesis 5. Matthew opens his gospel by telling us that Jesus Christ, a man of the lineage of David and Abraham, was the covenant mediator who fulfilled the promises that God gave to Abraham and to David. And Jesus would be the king over all God's kingdom. And Jesus was the seed or the offspring of Abraham in whom all nations will be blessed. So you can almost sense that Matthew introduces Jesus in the same way that Genesis 5 introduces Adam. And therefore Matthew implicitly declares Jesus to be the new Adam, the king of new creation. Another example is found, perhaps even clearer example can be found in Luke chapter 3, verses 36 to 38. Luke traces Jesus' genealogy back to Noah. And then, listen to this, Lamech, Methuselah, Enoch, Jared, Mahalalel, Enos, Seth, and Adam. Familiar names that we read in our passage. This is for Luke to show that Jesus was the promised seed of the woman who fulfilled God's first promise to Adam and Eve. That this new and final Adam, Jesus Christ our Lord, will crush the serpent's head and defeat Satan. So Jesus is therefore shown to be, to be the savior of the whole world. And Jesus accomplished salvation, not by, not, not by anything that seems to be high and mighty, but through death, and even death on a cross. The familiar refrain, and he died, came to him, not because he deserved it, but he met it head on for our sake. He died to sin so that we may be freed from sin's demand and its reign. And he was raised to glory so that we may also be raised in him and enter the eternal Sabbath rest that he has ascended to. And that's why Jesus can tell us that he can give rest to our souls He alone can do it because he came to this fallen world to give us life, and life abundantly. So our passage gives us two ways to think about our own life, this life, and how to live it. One way is to look at the inevitable reality of death and live under its dark shadow. But a better way is to see that even death may uh, hurt us. God has defeated sin and death in Christ. By his resurrection, the sting of death has been removed. And in Christ, we may live and move and have our being. And we may live not only for ourselves, but for him who has brought us by his blood and has granted us eternal life by his resurrection. 
So Christians, rest in Christ and be sure that nothing in this life can separate you from his dying love for you. Nothing in your life, even in your death, can stop Jesus from loving you and saving you. And to return and raise you from the dead in order to perfectly conform you to his image in glory. Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Believe in him, knowing that our physical death is a gateway to paradise, where the life or death, let us therefore find rest, joy and relief by clinging to Christ our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for giving us rest and eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who alone is the Savior of the world. Knowing your grace and your love, may we walk with you and live according to your word in all things desiring to please you. And armed with this good news of the gospel of Christ, the Savior and victor over death, May we be bold and faithful to proclaim and witness Christ to this dying world so some may find life in him until he returns and take us all to our heavenly home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.